Can we bow our heads and pray together for a moment, please? The people still came to him from everywhere. Well, we've not quite gathered from everywhere to be with you today, Lord Jesus. But we do pray that as we gather to you, you would meet us as you met those others then. And as then, so today, send us back to our places wherever they may be, knowing that we have met Jesus and that that will make a difference. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Over the last few years that my dad was able to drive uh, from uh, the Wirral to uh, Norwich, he would uh, turn up and we would have that kind of male conversation that uh, two men who love each other very much um, would have. And it would run something like this. Well, if you take the A41 at Whitchurch, you've got to, take, you've got to make sure you take the, left, the second of the roundabouts. Because if you take the first of the roundabout, that'll take you to Shrewsbury. You don't want to go to Shrewsbury. You want to make sure that you hook up with the M5 at a different place. That's fairly standard conversation. And your laughter indicates that I'm not the only one to be familiar uh, with that sort of conversation. My dad had a definite preference for the pleasant way in his later years, as opposed to the motorway, which was the fast way. Now, please open your Bibles to page 1002. And at verse 2 there, you will see a discussion of a motorway. I will uh, send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling uh, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That was pretty much what was meant. It was a motorway. And uh, I can't remember who was was up doing verse 2, but I do remember the point was made. This is make the path straight. This is uh, level, level it, whether hills and valleys, stop it turning from right uh, and left, not wandery, just make it dead straight so that there's an impression of power as the king comes with all speed down the uh, motorway that has been built for him. It's all power and speed, that verse. And it's what we might expect, too, if we look to verse 15. Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And yet that's not what we get in our reading today. Instead, we get the A41 and the little wiggly bits around Whitchurch. Because verse 15 leads us to expect might and authority again. But that's not how it is. Earlier in that chapter, uh, there are s- the centers of activity are Jerusalem and the Jordan. But then Jesus goes into the desert and then off to Galilee. And as John's Gospel reminds us, what possible good can ever come out of somewhere that far north? But then here's Jesus preaching this message of great power, verse 15, and then, verse 16, 
as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He's not supposed to be walking along the Sea of Galilee. He's supposed to be on a motorway. But he isn't. Margins are very important in Mark's gospel. Look out for them as we go through in our series. So here, we've had this promise of the motorway, as it were, in the desert. But here's Jesus wandering beside a lake, talking to a couple of fishermen. And then, uh, uh, again, uh, he's not in the center at Jordan, but he's at the desert. One of the problems of the English language that translators have when they pick up a language like Greek is that Greek, and particularly Hebrew, don't have very many words in them. And if we were to translate word for word using the same word each time in English that you get in the Greek or the Hebrew, it would actually be quite boring. On the other hand, the problem is that then when you come across the same word that's in the original, you don't notice it, that it is the same word in the English because a different word is being used. So the same word is being used here uh, in verse 2, in verse 12, in verse 35 and in verse uh, 45. We get desert, desert, solitary place, lonely place. The word is the same, desert, eremos, all the way through. Because this guy who is expected to appear in the center at the end of the motorway seems deliberately to choose to go off into the desert. Another margin, a social margin. We read the story of um, uh, Jesus healing the mother-in-law of Peter there from uh, verse 29 onwards. And we think, oh, that's nice, that's nice healing. Actually, if you flip over to chapter 3 and the end of chapter 3, you get another family story. Jesus' mother and brothers uh, arrived standing outside. They sent someone to call him. Who are my mother and brothers, he said. Then he looked at those around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. So in chapter 1, we get Jesus, in a sense, accepted into a new family, Peter's mother-in-law, whom he healed, and her family. And some of us have just been to Israel and you can sit at a church and you can look down on pretty much exactly what we are pretty sure is the house where Jesus did that. Um, uh, anyway, you can, you can do that. But then later on in chapter 3, you get this sense that he's accepting being pushed out of his own family. He's gone to the margins. Geographical, it's social, it's religious. He teaches, they say, not like the scribes. We know about the scribes they are, and the teachers of the law. They operate within our synagogue system. Uh, that's where a religious teacher should be. But he teaches not like them. He's on the margins. And it's sometimes by his choice, but it's sometimes not. Look at verse 45. I'm always excited when I see things uh, for the first time in passages of Scripture I've never seen. I have always assumed that Jesus could no longer teach in the town simply because he was so popular, because you get those references up to that point saying um, uh, he couldn't go anywhere because of the crowds and, and what have you. But what actually, it doesn't say that at all. What actually happens in verse 45 is the outcome of a story that probably worked like this. Jesus says to the man, the man, the man who has had leprosy, go and show yourselves uh, to the priests, make an offering as is appropriate, and they will confirm that you are cleansed. But he doesn't do that. So the man goes off to all his friends and neighbors and all the people he knows 
around Galilee and says, I'm clean, I'm clean. And they say, how do you know if you have made the offering? And Well, no, 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 but I know I'm clean. How do you know you're clean? Well, this man Jesus touched me. And he said, he touched you? This man Jesus, he touched you. And you had leprosy. Well, that's, that doesn't mean that you're clean. It means that Jesus is unclean. And that's why Jesus couldn't go into the towns. Because he would be assumed to have leprosy or to have been in enough contact with a leper that he would no longer be allowed to go into the towns because he was unclean. Sometimes by his choice that he goes to the margins, it's sometimes not. And what really struck me about, about seeing that for the first time this week was that I'd never seen it. I'd never appreciated how much Jesus is pushed to the margins. And I suggest that very few of us have noticed that about this story, though it's a familiar story. It's very early in one of the most popular Gospels. Which tells us that we may be inclined not to notice when Jesus has to go to the margins. And might that be because we don't really want to go there ourselves? And Jesus is on those margins precisely because there's another authority in the land that does not take kindly to the message of chapter 1 and verse 15. The kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. Indeed, there are several authorities that don't take kindly to it. And authority is the key issue in these early chapters of Mark. That's what strikes the people in verses 22 and 27. So let's quickly go through it. Exorcisms were not unusual in the days of Jesus. There were all kinds of healers wandering around the countryside saying that they could perform uh, healings and exorcisms. In itself, that's not the point of the story. These are, in fact, however, the only narratives of exorcisms as they take place. I want to notice how it develops. Firstly, we're told that uh, this is amazing. Jesus teaches. His first job there was teaching. Jesus teaches with authority and not as the teachers of the law. They were at home in the synagogue world. So the challenge is immediately there against them. And then he throws out this evil spirit, which itself recognizes his authority. We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And there's a sense, a very odd sense, but a real sense, in which this synagogue world sees the teachers of the law and the evil spirit man kind of working together. After all, how does the evil spirit express itself? Where does the evil spirit express itself? In the synagogue. And if God is in the synagogue, then the evil spirit has no business being in the synagogue. But the evil spirit can take it for granted that God is not in the synagogue. This is the world of the scribes and the law teachers. And the spirit says, what do you want with us? Later says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But earlier says, what do you want with us? As though it means, what do you want in this synagogue world? Where we've come to an arrangement. Me and the scribes, the teachers of the law. You don't bother us and we won't bother you. We can't throw you out. And we'll each be part of one another's world. It kind of, it's not great, but it works. 
and Jesus will have none of it. And then with the evil spirit thrown out, isn't it extraordinary that at verse 27, the people still are saying a new teaching and with authority. This is about a teaching ministry. But we could perhaps put it slightly differently. It is an instructing ministry. It's about an authority to instruct both people and spirits as to what to do. They obey him, say the people. The evil spirits obey this one that we've just been listening to. And again, in our uh, second story, the man with leprosy. Verse 44, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, there are some puzzles in this. Um, Verse 43, where it says a strong warning. It's an intensely strong warning. There's indignation in Jesus' reaction. The language is uh, he snorts his warning. Uh, uh, Go, where it says in verse uh, 44, it's the same word for being cast out. It's get out. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. And it says as a testimony to them, but it's almost like a particular phrase that you get in the Gospels. It's it's a testimony to them. Well, that sounds nice. There's a man and he's, he's bearing witness that, you know, nice things happen to him. But it's got a different sense to it. It's, it's kind of like a testimony against them. It's more a, see, he did it and you didn't, so there. That captures more of the sense. Jesus is furious in verses 43 and 44 with the authorities in Jerusalem. He sends the man because presumably he wants the man to go to the authorities. He has to go all that way. It's far, far north. Uh, it's a few days' journey down to the south because it's the only way in Jerusalem that he'll be able to meet a priest who will be able to offer a sacrifice at the temple for his cleaning to say, yes, you are clean and then he can come back and everything should be okay again. But it's as though Jesus is saying, look what I can do, and you have had no part in this. This is a world in which you have tolerated evil spirits, but I'm not tolerating them because the kingdom of God has come near and the end is upon you. The message of this passage is undoubtedly that Jesus has overwhelming authority, and that authority... It does not come from Jerusalem, where the religious power is. It certainly doesn't come from Rome, where the civil power is. It comes from, verse 35, a solitary place in the desert. A solitary place where Jesus prayed. On the margins again. Jesus has overwhelming authority, and the problem that we've got is who doesn't? That is, who doesn't have the authority? Who claims the authority that Jesus says he has? Certainly there's a civil claim to that authority. The kingdom of God. Well, there's another kingdom operating. What about all these towns that reject Jesus? In Mark, we'll see Jesus going from the margins to houses. But towns and synagogues reject him. 
there's also a spiritual authority that is upset because here's the Holy One of God. There are scribes, there are spirits, there are priests who have a, who have a, a part in the game that they are all playing together. During the week, uh, Will and I were in conversation. And uh, as someone who's uh, had a go at Mark already, Will said, you know, I'm, I'm surprised. Mark is hard. And I think I agree. You have to ask him why he finds it hard. But I can tell you why I do. Mark's gospel puts me in a difficult place. Here's one of the ways in which it does. I stand here representing our sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth. She is the one to whom I have sworn my oaths. She represents civil and spiritual authority. And even if you're sitting here going, oh, well, I don't, I'm a Baptist, then um, you've chosen to come here. So by being here on a Sunday morning in a Church of England building, you have a complicated relationship with authority. Is Jesus inviting us, therefore, to follow him to the exclusion of other authorities? Well, that's the stark initial impression, but then I have to remember that these authorities in our own day are formed upon Jesus. The Book of Common Prayer prays for our Sovereign Lady that she may duly remember whose authority she hath. So that's one of my problems, the complications of authority then and now. I can see that Jesus is opposed to that lot, but where is the claim today to which he is opposed? And it raises the question, where are we in this story? Are we the leper? Are we the one with the spirit? Are we the religious people? Are we even Jesus in our generation? And my problem that makes Mark hard for me is I don't think there's evidence to say that we are the one and not the others. It's unsettling. And actually, I thought, well, maybe that's the gift that Mark's reading brings to us this morning. Maybe we are all intended to go home, and sometime in the week, let's look at that reading again, from 16 to 45, and say, where am I? Is this me? I'd love to be able, you know those pedestrian maps that you can see, see as you go around towns, and they say, you are here. I'd love this morning to be able to say to each one of you, you are here. But I don't think I can. You and I, and every one of us, we could be in different places. Maybe in the course of a day, we might be in all of them. On the margins, at the center, on the margins, at the center. And yet of some things we can be sure. That unsettling quality, I think, is deliberate. I think it is a gift to us. It means that we can't go to that text and say, yeah, well, I know about Mark chapter 1. It's easy, Mark chapter 1. And I'm glad that Will stopped me in the week and made me rethink, actually, maybe I don't know Mark chapter 1 as well as I thought. Maybe none of us does. But of some things we can be sure, the Gospels offer ways in. See, I'm not sure how far you'd get in our Norfolk world by teaching with authority and trying to throw out evil spirits. 
though I imagine they are as much here as anywhere. I do remember being in the kind of country that Jennifer was talking about. It wasn't Spain, but it was one not unlike it. And a deep sense of a darkness and a spiritual oppression, even though much of the country has the name for being Christian. And I think the spirits are there too. <clears throat> but I do think there's a particular resource in our text today. The leper would be excluded. That would be the majority problem. And actually, he may not even have had signs of leprosy, but simply having been in contact with lepers, it says he has leprosy. And you probably know it's not what we would call leprosy today. It's a skin disease. Um, But that you wouldn't necessarily always have seen it. But he would have been excluded because he was uh, in contact with him. He would not have been able to go to synagogue. Though it's interesting that Uh, the ways in which these people with leprosy approach and go further away from synagogues in the time of the Gospels. He would not have been allowed to go to synagogue. He wouldn't have been allowed to go into the towns. He certainly wouldn't have been allowed anywhere near Jerusalem. He'd have been excluded. And that's why the language is not about sinfulness or about healing, but make me clean. What he wants is not just to be physically better, though presumably he does want that. What he wants is to be clean in the religious sense. I want to be included. Make me clean. And in our own day, when society loses a sense of an objective God who is objectively offended by the fact of sin... What can remain is a vague sense of not fitting, not measuring up, not, quote, being on the inside. I meet those who are very defensive to begin with, but on acquaintance, on learning, what it turns out is that they feel dirty, they feel unclean. There's a sense of shame that means they don't quite fit into existing categories, and the last place they would go is to a church, because that's full of people who seem clean. It just makes them feel worse. One of the most common reasons when you dig down, and you do often have to dig down, it's not the first reason because no one wants to admit to it, but one of the most common reasons people don't go to church is because the act of going to church they expect will make them feel judged. Here I am with lots of clean people and I don't belong. By the authority of teaching and the care of a loving touch, you and I have what it takes to make such people feel clean again. It's probably happened to some of you. Indeed, some of you may be here because you've risked not fitting. You've come here knowing your internal disappointments, your internal sense of exclusion, and you wonder whether with all those issues that you know about, you could ever really fit. Everyone else around you this morning looks so sorted. Well, trust me, we've barely begun the business of getting sorted. And so I summon you to recognize the authority of Jesus over all other authorities in the heavens and upon the earth. And you can know what it is to be clean to be forgiven as we have been, 
that we did not recognize that authority in times past. Because this is a Jesus who doesn't just have authority, he also reaches out to touch your life, even your life, as he's touched mine. And for the rest of us, it may well be that in order to pay particular attention to those who feel unclean or ashamed, we may find ourselves pushed to the margins, away from the securities of what is affirmed here Sunday by Sunday. Workplaces, college, family, home, actually all of them can be marginal once Jesus has radicalized us and come into our center. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to be the new center of everywhere. We want to make him our center and in that confidence to go to places we may not otherwise recognize as comfortable for us. Send us to easy places, send us to hard places, send us to the center, send us to the margins. Wherever you choose to send us, we are willing to go. But renew our confidence in the Jesus whose kingdom has come, whose authority is over every other authority, and whom we know as Lord in this our generation. Amen.